Thank you so much. What a privilege to be here and to share in this service. And uh, one of the greatest blessings to me already, uh, Pastor Matthew, is that song, Ancient Words. Every time I hear that, every time I sing it, my heart, well, really, I ask myself a question. And the question is, do I really, really appreciate the fact that I have here in my hands all 66 books of the Bible and in my language? Think about that. The great gift that God has given us with these ancient words, to know His will and to walk in His will. And when I think about the Bible, and I think about that question, and I ask myself, my own heart, as uh, Pastor Chris said already, how easy it is to take it for granted. How easy it is to take for granted this gift to us. And my mind goes back to 16th century England, when a relatively young man, a brilliant young man, looked around him and he saw that the average common person did not have a Bible. They did not have the Bible in their language. And so he set out to translate the Bible into our language, English. Now, you'd think everyone would be thrilled with the fact that William Tyndale had the vision and the burden to translate all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation into our language, English. But not everybody was happy with that. Henry VIII was not happy with that. And Henry VIII was the head of the church. The other religious leaders in the church were not happy that William Tyndale was translating the Bible so the common person could read it. And there was a simple reason. It would reveal their hypocrisy. It would reveal to the people of England the way in which the heads of the church were violating the very words, the ancient words of Scripture. So they began to persecute William Tyndale. In fact, he had to leave England and go to the continent to complete the project. And after working, and it's hard to imagine the work involved in translating all of the Scriptures. He's a brilliant young man, spoke seven languages. In addition, understood Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, Greek, the language of the New. But through his talent and his ability, translated the Bible. And at one point in time, a so-called friend said, William, it's okay, you can come back to England. This is a setup. And when William Tyndale came back to England, he was incarcerated, and ultimately he was strangled and he was burned at the stake so that we could have the Bible in English. Think about that. A man died for what we have in our hands today. His final words, by the way, as he was dying, was, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And ultimately, God answered that prayer, 
There were several Bibles published within the next five years. And ultimately, of course, King James came to the throne and authorized the King James Version. But what we don't realize, many of us, is that about 80% of the King James Version was the translation that William Tyndale did and died so we could have the Bible in English. When I think of that, this question takes on even more meaning to me. Do I really, really appreciate what I have here, this gift of the Word of God, so that we can know the will of God? Where would we be without Scripture? And so I'd like to talk about the subject today, the Word of God and the will of God. God wants us to know His will. You know where it began? It began when God spoke the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, after the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. And God spoke from that mountain. First He spoke, and then He wrote. He spoke those Ten Commandments so that all of Israel heard it in their own language. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. This was his first major revelation to humankind, and then he inscribed them on the tablets of stone. And then, of course, God used Moses to give us the first five books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But see, God wasn't finished yet. God continued to reveal His will through the prophets. He continued to speak through the Old Testament prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. They spoke, and then they wrote. And we have it in our Old Testament. But not only the major prophets, we have the minor prophets. We call them minor not because their message is minor. They were just smaller books. Men like Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi. First they spoke through the inspiration of God, and then they wrote, and we have it in our Old Testament today. But God wasn't finished yet. His next step in Revelation was the coming of Jesus, the living Word who chose the apostles. And first they spoke, and then they wrote, and the essence of what they wrote is what we have in our New Testament. God's Word so that we could know the will of God. And here's the amazing thing. In all of this process, God inspired the authors of Scripture to record His message in writing, from Genesis to Revelation. And you know, that's a marvelous process. How did God do that through human beings? Well, this morning I'd like to bring you a little bit into the process, how it happened. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, John chapter 14, the upper room. If 
you don't have a Bible, you can take out your phone. It's probably there or on your iPad. doesn't matter the means. It's the Word. And in the Word of God, in John chapter 14, Jesus is with the apostles, and they're really nervous because He said He's going to go away. And He told them, look, I don't want you to be concerned. I don't want you to worry because I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to give you another counselor. So there in John chapter 14, verse 16, read these words. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor. That's a very interesting word. Now, ordinarily, you don't have to understand New Testament Greek to understand the Bible. Thank the Lord for people like William Tyndale and others who have translated the Bible into English so we can understand it. But here it helps to know the Greek word. It really helps, and I'll share with you why shortly. The Greek word that Jesus used is parakletos. I'm going to send you another parakletos. Say that with me. Parakletos. He's going to use that word several times here in the upper room. I'm going to send you another parakletos. Now, here's translated counselor. It could be translated teacher. King James translated comforter. There's another word that could be used here that would be my favorite. I'm going to send you another encourager. Because the basic Greek word, parakletos, parakleo, really is translated, the verb is translated many times to encourage, to encourage, to encourage. And so it could be translated, I'm going to send you another encourager. But notice, he will be with you forever, and he is the spirit of what? Truth. Truth. And one of the reasons that Jesus used the word truth is that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the truth to these men. Now, remember, he's talking to 11 men. Judas is not here any longer. He's gone. He's split. And Jesus is talking to these men who are nervous and worried. But Jesus goes on. And if you move on in the chapter to verse 25, he says, I have spoken these things to you while I'm with you. And he's been with them for now about three and a half years. But the parakletos, the counselor, who is he? The Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things. Now, who's he talking to? Eleven men, the apostles. And remind you of everything I have told you, in essence, the last three and a half years. And I'm sure they're sitting there scratching their heads and some of them pulling on their beards and saying, what in the world is Jesus talking about? I can imagine one man sitting there. His name is Matthew. He's also called Levi. 
He was a tax collector. And I can just imagine Matthew saying, what is Jesus talking about? And the other apostles probably raising the same question. I'm going to send you another what? Who? What's he going to do? Remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us? Well, the amazing thing is Matthew doesn't realize that about 25 years later, somewhere in the New Testament world, we don't know where, but he's on mission, carrying out the Great Commission. It may have been in the middle of the night. It may have been while he was speaking. It may have been while he was meditating. It might have been while he was sitting just having a meal. But all of a sudden, he remembered some words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He heard those words nearly 30 years ago when Jesus was teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes. And the voice internal of the Paracletos said in his mind, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And he rolled out his scroll, and he took his quill, and he began to record not just those words, but all of the Beatitudes that he'd heard from Jesus 30 years ago. But not only did he record those words, he recorded the whole Sermon on the Mount. Not only did he record the Sermon on the Mount, he recorded the whole Gospel of Matthew, and we have it in our Bible today. And what Jesus said came true. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things, remind you of everything I have told you. And it happened in the life of Matthew. But going back to the setting, at the end of this chapter, Jesus said, let's leave, let's, let's leave. Let's go down from this room. They went down into the streets of Jerusalem. It's night. They have their torches. It's eerie because the word is out to capture Jesus. They already tried to take his life, already tried to stone him to death. These men are scared to death because their lives are at stake as well. And they make their way through the dark streets of Jerusalem. They go by the temple, and they're going to descend down into the Kidron Valley. They're heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus must have stopped along the way. And once again in a quiet tone, perhaps, said to them at the end of chapter 15, verse 26, Men, when the Counselor comes, when the Paracletos comes, 
the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Well, he wants them to get that message, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And again, in my own imagination, I can see the Apostle John standing right next to Jesus. After all, he was the disciple that Jesus loved in a very special way in his humanity. And I think he may have looked right into John's eyes when he said, John, as it were, when that spirit of truth comes, he will testify about me. And again, I think John would have pulled on his beard and scratched his head and said, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, he doesn't realize that nearly 60 years later, he's somewhere, probably in Ephesus, because we know John went to Ephesus. And he's an old man. He's 90. Somewhere, maybe in the middle of the night, maybe sitting at a table, maybe while he was even speaking and sharing the truth about Jesus. He heard a voice. I don't know what it would have been like, never experienced it, but it was the voice of the Holy Spirit and the words that he heard in his mind were these. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he rolled out his scroll, and he took his quill, and he began to record, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he went on to record the whole gospel of John. And as he ended that gospel, he said, and he wrote, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, that's us, which are not written in this book, the book of John, but these are written. Why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you might have life through His name. What did Jesus promise there as they descended, as it were, into the Kidron Valley? When the Counselor comes, the one who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. What was the purpose of the Gospel of John? To testify about Jesus Christ, and He is the Son of God. It came true. And we have it in our Bibles today. Well, they continue on, perhaps, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the quietness of the night, verse 12 of chapter 16, perhaps just before he said to Peter and James and John, I want you to come with me, the others of you wait. And before they dispersed, he may have said, Men, I still have many things to tell you. 
but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit, truth, Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own. He will speak whatever He hears. And then I think maybe He looked right at John again and said, He will also declare to you what is to come. And John doesn't realize that five years after he wrote the Gospel of John, he's going to be incarcerated in a cave in Patmos. I've been in that cave. Where Jesus Christ himself appeared and said, John, roll out your scroll and pick up your quill and write the things that are and write the things to come. And right there, he recorded what we have in our Bible, the book of Revelation. Jesus promised that right there in the garden. He, when he comes, will declare to you what is to come. And he wrote the whole book of Revelation through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and we have it in our Bibles today. The whole of the Scriptures. Well, you know what happened. Day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. The church was born. Peter got up to speak. He began to explain all of this. And then the apostles went on, scattered throughout the world, but eventually gave us the whole of the New Testament. Because in Jerusalem it says... Luke records, they continued in the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? First they spoke, then they wrote, and we have the whole of the apostles' teaching in the New Testament today. God's gift to us. Well, I want to fast forward you. I want to take you beyond the calling of the apostle Paul who became the great apostle to the Gentiles, and that's why we're sitting here today, because most of us are Gentiles. And he took the gospel to the whole world on the first journey, the second journey, the third journey, went to Jerusalem, eventually went to Rome, was imprisoned, released, went back into prison, and he wrote this last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And here's what he said, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned, Timothy. Can you imagine Paul is in a prison cell? I mean, it's an inner dungeon now. And light may be seeping through, and somehow he had parchment and he had a quill. And before Nero took his life, Shortly before he went home to glory and martyrdom, he wrote Timothy, who had been with him in all these journeys. Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe you know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you've known the sacred Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Imagine you're Timothy reading this letter, knowing 
that your father in the faith is going to face death because of his mission. Can you imagine what Timothy thought about when he said, continue in what you've been taught from childhood? Well, he would have gone back in his mind to his hometown Lystra when Paul came there on the first missionary journey with Barnabas. And he would never forget what had happened because Paul was stoned for preaching the gospel, carried out of the city and left for dead. Timothy was there. That's where he first heard the gospel. And if you go back to the book of Acts, it says, Paul was lying there as dead, and around him was a group of disciples. Who was in that circle? Well, I can see an old Jewish lady. Her name was Lois, and that was Timothy's grandma. How do I know his name? She's mentioned right at the beginning of this letter and identified. And standing next to her was a middle-aged Jewish woman. Her name was Eunice. That was Timothy's mother. And no doubt standing beside them was Timothy. And they had that incredible experience of seeing The Lord raised Paul up. They were disciples. And they saw him leave and go on to the other city. By the way, Timothy's dad was not there. He was a pagan. We know that from Acts chapter 16, verse 1. He was probably in the temple of Zeus right outside the city of Lystra, worshiping idols and committing immorality. We don't know whether he ever became a believer. But he had a faithful grandma, and he had a faithful mom. And both of them believed in the Old Testament and had taught him from childhood. And when Paul came and explained from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing, and he's saying, Timothy, you know those who taught you, your grandma, your mom. And you know that from childhood you've known the sacred scriptures. What were the sacred scriptures? The Old Testament. They had no New Testament. Which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Why was the Old Testament written? To introduce us to the Messiah. That's what Paul did in Lystra. But then he said, Timothy, I want you to hear something. And this is prophetic, obviously, because it hasn't happened yet. It's happening. He says, Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, all Scripture. And I don't think Paul even knew that this letter would be incorporated into our New Testaments. It was like the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, who had no concept that someday we'd be sitting here in this church reading their manuscripts in English. But God's plan was, through Paul, to give us 13 letters 
that are incorporated into the New Testament, which is the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, Timothy, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. And men and women, we have it all in our language. I want to fast forward you one more time to the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I personally think it was Apollos, but I don't know. But what I do know is it's the Word of God. And here in chapter 10, we have a statement that's absolutely incredible. Verse 24, and let us, and that gets very, very personal now to us, because the author of Hebrews is not talking to the apostles, he's talking to us. Those in the first century, those in our century, people all over the world who know Christ, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. But, and I want you to underscore this in your mind. I hope you'll never forget it. Encouraging each other. Earlier I asked you, to pay attention to the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. The parakletos. What do you think the basic word here the author of Hebrews uses for encouraging? The same basic word. In other words, to put it very practically, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another parakletos another encourager. He said that to the apostles. And through the apostles and the Spirit of God, He's given us the New Testament. But here He says, let us utilize the Word of God as, and get this, the parakletoi. You see, the parakletas is the singular. The parakletoi is the plural. The Holy Spirit was the parakletos that gave us the Word of God so we could be the parakletoi, teaching and ministering to one another. And not only do we have the Word of God in our hands, we have the Spirit of God, the parakletos, within us to enlighten us, to help us to communicate the eternal Word of God. And the author of Hebrews says, let us be concerned about one another to promote love and good works and not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging one another, the parakletoi, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Fifteen years ago, I got a call from Robin Holman, Nashville. I just passed the baton of leadership uh, to my successor in the church that I had started and pastored in Dallas. And they said, Gene, we've just completed a brand new translation of the Bible. Back then it was called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It was a brand new translation. Not an adaptation, but a brand new translation. And I knew it was in the works. And I had followed it, and uh, I knew the gentleman that was assigned, Dr. Ed Bloom, we taught together at Dallas Seminary, was the editor of this new translation, and he had a hundred scholars that worked with him from the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts to bring up this new translation, and I knew it was a good one. And they said, we've just completed it, Jane. And he said, would you take this brand new translation and do a Principles to Live by Study Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Really? It was a total surprise. But I had just passed my baton as senior pastor, and I had to pray about that, and I said, okay, I'll do it. I had no idea I would ever, ever do a study Bible. Well, they said, we think you can do it in two years with everything else you've written. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Seven years later, I finished the project. When I say seven years, um, basically my calculation is for seven years, four days a week, for seven years, I begin in Genesis line by line, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, book by book, for seven years until I reach the book of Revelation, looking for principles to live by. And the reason I share that story is that you can't spend seven years. My wife, by the way, says it was five days a week. It really doesn't matter because it was a full-time experience for seven years in the Scriptures preparing the study Bible, looking for principles to live by. And you can't do that without impacting your life. And as I thought about that, many times it brings me back to this question, to what extent do I appreciate the fact that I have available in my hands the whole Bible in my language? God's gift to me. Let's never ever take it for granted. Amen. Father, thank you for this incredible gift that you've given us. Men died so we could have the Scriptures. A man died so we could have it in English. And Lord, help us to never neglect it, but let us encourage one another with the truth of Scripture. Let us be the paracletoi, absorbing the Scripture so we can teach one another, and all the more as the day draws near. And we pray this 
In the name of the blessed Savior, who died for us and rose again, who sits at your right hand and as our great counselor, interceding for us today. But thank you for not leaving us without your will. So clearly spoken through these ancient words that God has given us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.